Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as a springboard. I'm your host, Alex, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe. Hello. And today we are joined by our friend, G. Hello. Today we'll be talking about Frozen 2 and Thor Ragnarok, as well as imperialism, colonialism, and reparations. So sit back and relax, or if you're driving, sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. You guys, I think I did it. Yeah, it's uh, it only took it only took five takes, but Alex managed to do the intro. G, you're an unbiased third party who did it better. Uh oh, you mean the intro? Yeah, and honestly, I'm feeling really vulnerable right now, and I think Joe can handle some criticism. So I think you're manipulating me to choose. Um, no, gee, he's he's right. I need to be knocked down a few picks. <laughs> um, I actually always thought that it was the same Joe recording every time. Um, I think Alex, that was really good for it being months like separating the last podcast. Yeah, I don't mind getting a win with the handicap that we haven't done this in forever. Yeah, sure. And I can't yeah. normally do it so. Perfect. Yeah, the, not not only the first time in months, the first time you've ever done it. That was a yeah. A win's yeah. a win. Wow. So, G, tell us about where you are. There's clearly some beauty behind you. Oh, burr. Um, <laughs> well, it bothered me. Anyway, um, <laughs> I am in my little studio apartment in uh, the city. So nice, they named it twice. Um, but I decided to go a little festive for this podcast today. Excellent. Well, we love to see it. And for those listening to us, hop onto our YouTube channel, maybe, if we have it up by now. Uh, or maybe not, because we may not have it up by then. Joe, where are you? Uh, I am in my room in my parents' house, a uh, little further out east than Geraldine is in Beautiful Long Island, New York. Oh, uh, chef's kiss. You know, when people think Long Island, New York, they think beauty. Maybe. I actually don't even know if that's true. Probably not, but uh, I'll take <laughs> it. Like I said, a win's a win, you know? Yeah. Um, I am in my professionally created booth, created by yours truly, Steph, not me. Um... <laughs> And this is this is one of the first times people are are getting to see it, so it's very exciting for me. Yeah, I should have thrown up a, a backdrop like G did because you have that very nice professional, you know, like uh, sound absorbing stuff. G is in uh, the icy wasteland of Frozen Two, and uh, I have walls that are painted different colors. Well. You you have two options here. Number one, you're advertising for George Watsky, so that's already that's also pretty true. cool. Uh, or number two, you can get a backdrop of a professional booth. That's yeah. I think that's what I'm gonna end up doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be so funny. <laughs> like in Frozen Two, the two sides of the bridge. You know, you have the two walls meeting. Yes, that's why you did it. Mm-hmm. So it has been a while. Uh, thank you all so much for your patience while we figure out what season three is going to look like. Uh, this is what we settled on. Um, and hopefully it's worth it. 
Uh, and I know uh, Alex has already mentioned the possibility of a YouTube channel, but we are recording ourselves uh, a video feed to post on YouTube, Facebook, possibly TikTok. Um, so that's why we've been describing uh, what we look, uh, what our rooms look like. Yeah, it's a crazy experience for us. We don't know if it's going to work out, but here we go. We're trying new things for you. You're also <laughs> ADA compatible. We're what compatible? ADA. Isn't that like American Disabilities? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> moving. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. Yeah, moving right along. Um, and, and now... We mentioned in the intro that we're going to be talking about Frozen 2 and Thor Ragnarok. So we are going to go around and rate both, um, but we're not going to get too much in detail with the synopses and all of that. We're just going to dive right into the impacts of these movies. So I'm going to get started with Frozen 2, if that's okay with everyone. Please do. All right. I enjoyed Frozen 2 more than I enjoyed Frozen 1. Um, I thought they were a, it, there was a, a great couple of steps forward with each character, and I saw a cool theme being threaded across, as well as a character arc with almost every single character. And so I am willing to rate Frozen 2 uh, a 5. I'm doing it. I like it. Uh, I personally liked Frozen uh, a little bit better than frozen 2 uh frozen 2 just didn't hit the same way uh for me um but still very enjoyable i agree with everything you said alex you know we got to see a lot of growth and next steps for all the characters which was really nice uh and uh just like frozen 1 it had a message that we should definitely be sending to children in their media uh and so for that I'm going to give Frozen a 4.5. Boom. Ooh, starting off season three with a half star? God. <laughs> I didn't want to like Frozen 2 or 1. Um, but honestly, it, now, do I think the motive behind writing a second one is because Frozen was such a cash cow? Yes, 100%. Um, but I think... Uh, to echo what Alex is saying, and I think the testament to a good sequel is if without the first one, it stands alone. Um, and I think it does. Uh, and that's me as sort of a skeptic saying that. So uh, I also saw the common themes threaded, and I think they, yeah, I did like it. I would get, say there's only half stars, right? It's one through five. No half stars allowed. You 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 do half stars if you want, G. Don't let him bully you. <laughs> Only because I have reservations still, I'm gonna give it a four. But I think it was very good. Alright, alright. Um and so for Thor Ragnarok, um, the first time I saw it, so I actually saw it today to prepare, because the first time I saw it was when it came out. I didn't like it very much. Mostly because I saw the same joke getting repeated over and over again, which put me off to it. Uh, so back then, I would have said a three. But watching it today, 
seeing how it aged, seeing how it can stand alone, and it's also one of the first times we see an overlap of superheroes, uh, even though it's not an Avengers movie, it is a pretty monumental moment, and so I'm willing to bump it up to a four. Uh, I actually remember when it came out, Alex, you texted me like, oh, it was kind of the same joke. And I was like, that's fair. Um, <laughs> that aside, uh, Thor Ragnarok is probably my, f- I'd say it's at least in my top three of Marvel movies. I really like it a lot. Uh, it's got everything you want. It's got Thor. It's got Jeff Goldblum. Uh, it's got a killer soundtrack. Um, and even though I do, uh, recognize some of the legitimate criticisms, like some of the cooler moments are cut with comedy and that comedy tends to be, uh, very similar jokes. Uh, I'm still going to give it a five. Do what you gotta, Joe. Just know you're wrong. (laughs) Um, I'll take it. I am going to be honest. I didn't. Uh, it didn't suck me in. I know it has good themes. Uh, I have been clouded with regular reality stressing, <laughs> so I didn't get to give it the time of day. I want to. Am I allowed to say N-A, or do you want me to give it a number? Give it a number. Make Joe feel bad for his father. No, I was, I was going to say, I think N-A would be worse than uh, a random number. <laughs> but also, it's the, it's the time of... These uncertain times. Yeah. We've never had an NA. If not now, when? But G, do do whatever you like. I'm, to be fair, I have to give it an NA. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't fudge anything. All right. That's That's not, that's not, it's not a huge obstacle. Uh, We will overcome. Maybe by the end of our discussion, I can give you some. Yeah. Once you hear, once you hear our discussion of it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. It didn't activate me. (laughs) (laughs) so based on the title based on the intro based on our little uh snippets right now um some people might already be seeing why these two movies are being compared uh i sort of got into it with frozen 2 i actually wrote a blog about frozen 2 like as soon as i saw it because it came out right around thanksgiving time And there were great themes of this idea of a queen or a princess being thrust into a world where their grandparents did wrong. And they had to say, all right, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to say, well, that wasn't us, and so it's not my problem to resolve? Or are they going to, you know, help out and fix the wrongs that their ancestors caused? And they went with Fix. Anna chooses to destroy the dam and let the water flood through towards the kingdom to destroy them, even though that would be sacrificing things that that were hers, quote unquote, um, but but is a but is a form of reparations to to these uh, indigenous people that her grandfather like tricked into a curse of some sort it, like fear-mongering them into believing yeah and i know like the dam also like suppressed the spirits right and so like it created mm-hmm. a lot of obstacles in that context so how does that relate to thor ragnarok joe 
So uh, this episode, as Alex said, he wrote that blog about uh, the colonial and reparation themes in Frozen 2. I sent Alex a TikTok from TikTok user Human Espresso um, and her sort of analysis of how Thor Ragnarok also has those themes of colonialism. And then Alex suggested we uh, combine the two into an episode. And so in Thor Ragnarok, um, one of the things that Thor has to reckon with is Asgard's past. Um, Asgard is this glorious golden kingdom uh, and it's revealed that Thor's father, Odin, as well as his long-lost sister, Hela, who's the goddess of death, both went to different worlds and basically pillaged and destroyed them. And that's why Asgard is what uh, it is today. And so Thor has to come to terms with that and then also um, save Asgard. Uh, and what's similar about it is he decides the best way to save Asgard is to actually destroy it. Uh, there's a line, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And so even though he's going to uh, lose his home, all these people are going to lose their homes, uh, the only way to stop Hela from repeating the past is to let uh, this giant monster, Surtur, destroy Asgard. And so Thor was also willing to, to I guess, allow for reparations, even though they were the sins of his father. Yes. A little more attenuated, I'd say, than Frozen 2 was. Um, but still the idea of this isn't right and we shouldn't preserve uh, these stolen goods rather than these very real people. Yeah. That's a, and I think that's a good lesson outside of the context of, of Thanksgiving, outside of the context of rewritten history. Um, this idea of a community has to do with the people, not the location. Um, unfortunately, that might be skewed in and of itself. If you're going to imperialize, is that the verb for imperialism? If you're going to imperialize somewhere, you can probably like tell people like, hey, your community is you and like push them away and steal their <laughs> land and be like, because, because, you know, the land isn't what makes you a community. So ideally you do that in the reverse and you give back the land that was stolen because your community is more than just where you live. Mm -hmm. um, but, but gee, you, you had mentioned sort of going into frozen two, you didn't exactly want to like it. And I want to hear more on that. What, what didn't you want to like, or what was your experience with Frozen and Frozen 2? So, and I'm not the expert on this, and I also benefit from a lot of uh, white supremacy issues and colorism problems, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of seeing the same type of looking people get to live a sort of fairy tale ending or have a story in general. However, the good thing about both of these stories is even though they're kind of focused on these Nordic, Eurocentric-looking characters, they are also the bad guys, which is true in real life as well. So I think that was a win for both of them. And that's why I, I can't rate it, at least Frozen 2, I can't rate it lower than a 4 because at least it recognizes that the people who get their stories told are also 
the destroyers of things. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes me think of the whole uh, history is written by the victors type of thing, and like, what does victor mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes in our history, it means you slaughter the people that might tell a different story. Right. And that's super unfortunate. Yeah. And, uh, um, that reminds me of one of the scenes in Thor Ragnarok where Hela is explaining the history of Asgard. And, uh, she says, Odin proud of proud to have it ashamed of how he got it. And, I think that's very true, particularly in American culture, but certainly in other European countries that I don't live in, so can't talk about their culture. But, I mean, the way we teach people Thanksgiving is the pilgrims came, and then we were friendly with the Indians, or excuse me, we were friendly with the Native Americans, and then uh, stuff got kind of bad. I mean, honestly, calling them Indians is a huge, just point to our american school education system of like it it does teach you pilgrims come here and indians um help them because they don't know how to farm or something and so just just the fact that we like slip through calling them indians versus native americans versus indigenous peoples and even with that context and this is a little tangential only being able to broadly refer to them as an indigenous people versus their actual tribes. Mm-hmm. And like each individual group has like such unique um, cultures that it would be like calling, you know, like Germany and Russia, like the same peoples. Um, but in that regard, the, the American education system is like, and, and that's, that's, that's how we got here. And that's mm-hmm. and that's how we did it. And then we paid them for their land. Yeah. Well, where are they today? They live on small portions of land that the federal government lets them live on. <laughs> okay, that's all the questions I had. Exactly. Or, or I mean, I for my personal experience, my little elementary school justification is like if all of these all of the immigrants that came like have generations and generations of people that sort of integrate into one blob of society i guess that's what happened to native americans and slowly but surely i found out that that was not true and instead a nightmare was true uh and i i'd like to uh uh amend what i just said uh native americans uh indigenous people certainly do not live exclusively uh on reservations they are uh they live you know in big cities and small towns uh you can find them anywhere and uh i apologize for insinuating that they only live in one specific designated spot right and i and that's important to distinguish to differentiate between um but also to make a point of how the government sort of set boundaries and restrictions around if they want to maintain their culture that's like the best way for them to do it. if they want to live in a community by themselves they have a designated area when they used to have the lands the pickens mm-hmm. i don't know the pickens the pickens 
side note, if you do venture into TikTok, and for any listeners, I have actually learned quite a lot in such a little amount of time by looking up Indigenous creators on TikTok. One of my favorites is Indigenous Fatty, so check her out. <laughs> nice. I've been, I've been trying to customize my Twitter feed to have mostly um, marginalized people at getting tweets from them so i i try following uh mostly like um non-cis people uh non-white people and non-men <laughs> and and i think the 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 vantage point that i get on my twitter feed really helps me sort of encompass just a little bit more. I'm not saying it's the only step I'm taking, but it helps me really like broaden my horizons and see the types of experiences that I don't have, but should be made aware of. So maybe I'll do the same with TikTok. I'm sorry. I'm not even on TikTok. It's on Instagram, but it's the same handle. Mm. Uh, I'm very on TikTok. Uh, and... Um, I agree. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't um, followed a ton of uh, indigenous creators, but um, particularly in uh, there's a section of TikTok known as D&D &D TikTok, and I follow a lot of uh, creators of color uh, on D&D &D TikTok, which has really opened my eyes to, um, you know, issues that uh, I wouldn't have known about if I uh, was not exposed to them. So just to repeat exactly what you guys said, <laughs> here, comes the, here comes the white guy stealing from... <laughs> oh, gosh. The non-white people. I don't know. <laughs> that's what they call us, non-white people. You know, oh, and that's I, another... This... That's, sorry, I was about to say, that's another thing. We uh, should stop doing it the same way uh, it's just ingrained in... Uh, Indian is the same thing as Native American. Uh, a lot of things are broken down as white and non-white, and that's not how we should be doing stuff. That's and I true. Apologize. No, no, I, I definitely started it. You were just copying me. <laughs> um, I just find it so much easier to encompass everyone that I want to follow is non-white people. <laughs> uh, but I, I really want to get into i guess the the history of imperialism the history of or or the history of imperialism and colonialism and moving forward what reparations looks like um but i'd love to take a quick break first your ad here 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 you're out here. You're out of here. Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed your break, and I hope you enjoyed that little message from our promoters. That's, that's how we pay the bills, baby. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> definitely don't believe it we do not pay ourselves <laughs> we have only ever lost money doing this podcast but it's fun <laughs> and isn't that what it's all about yeah right g always <laughs> 
Speaking of paying the bills, though, eh? Oh. Uh, we, uh, before we broke, we were going to uh, talk about uh, reparations and possible uh, steps to take in reparationizing. I don't know what the verb of reparations would be. Repairing? Yeah. That makes sense. I was, <laughs> I, I thought that and I was like, no, that would definitely be a different word. <laughs> but yeah, repairing. I, I wish I wish I could speak from a more like educated uh perspective, but that's all I got right now. G said it with such authority, I'm gonna assume that uh it's a it's repairing. It's oh repairing. wow. Yeah, she has the tiara. Tiara. <laughs> tiara? Tiara. I'm gonna go tiara. It is. Learn something every day. <laughs> but yeah, when when I think of, of like today's reparations, um Obviously, we want to think in the context of what do we need to repair and why. And so the first step in my mind of reparations is an education about imperialism, about how our nation grew, about uh, where we came from and what we did to the people when we were um, stealing their lands, although that's one of the things we were doing, Um, like not erasing the story of the people that don't exist anymore um, and or the people that currently exist but are forced to be in really small groups. And so that would be step one, you know, repair the education system, make sure that we are not whitewashing every single aspect. Obviously, now, the biggest complaint that I always hear is like, well, like kids don't won't grasp that or kids won't understand that. That doesn't mean we need to feed them lies. Right. Mm-hmm. If they're not ready to like learn something, then let's not teach that topic. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's my mentality, maybe because I believe that it's it's. I think the statistic is something like it takes eight times, and don't quote me on this because I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> it takes eight times as long to unlearn something as it does to learn it. And again, just grab that number from the sky. But it's a it's a big number like that. So rather than teaching something that isn't true and then being like, oh, they'll we'll we'll teach it better to them when they're older. Don't do that. <laughs> I think this may be a hard left, but related. People always assume that kids are too young to identify their anatomy correctly and talk about, you know, safe sex. But actually. In the Netherlands, I believe, they speak to children as early as two years old, and they have books made with the correct anatomy. And then the number of sexual assault is severely decreased in comparison to us, and we are so afraid to talk about those taboos. And children are much more um, perceptive than we think. So I don't think it would be wrong to, in at their level, talk about important issues. Yeah, in a sort of the vein of changing the educational system and the education we give to kids, maybe you think they can't handle that because you're not giving them things that they can handle. Maybe you're dumbing it down because you think that they need that and that's not the case. Um, A kid could, in theory, in first grade, take that in uh, you know, whether it's sexual education or uh, the true history of America, 
but we don't know because we don't do that. I think also the fact that we can recite, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Imagine if it was a rhyme that was more appropriate to actual history. 1492, Columbus raped and pillaged like a dick. Uh, it's not as catchy. <laughs> That's not for us to figure out. We're only <laughs> yeah, we're, big picture. We're here, big picture. We're pointing out the problem. You come up with the solutions, all right? <laughs> and then another small step that you personally can take is wherever you're living or wherever you have lived, you know, figure out who lived there it originally. Um, and there's actually a website where you can do this. It's uh, native-land.ca. And... And then, you know, for example, where I'm living, I may, I am very well pronouncing this wrong, but um, the Muncie Lenape people lived here. And so if I just look up their traditional customs, then, you know, I can at least be grateful to those people and who took care of this land and know that I'm a visitor and this isn't mine. Right. And then the very obvious perspective of that is like, to be clear, that's step one. Yeah. <laughs> and when we, when we see a lot of, like, performative social justice, they stop at step one. Like, all right, I educated myself. Phew, I'm exhausted. We need to go beyond the black square. Right. Gotcha. Which, um, interestingly enough, was one of the last times we posted. And uh, a couple of reasons that we sort of stopped with the podcast for a little while was to allow for... Again, non-white voices to be heard. Now, I'm I'm Latinx, Latinx, Latinx. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Uh, but I I definitely grew up in in white suburbia, and so a lot of my knowledge and history is still resonates a lot with white culture. And so I also wanted to take a step back and let other people speak up and talk about it. Um, so. Uh, to wrap up step number one, obviously, in a systemic sense, we need to fix the education system in a way that isn't whitewashing history. But on an individual basis, as G was pointing out, like there are websites you can use to learn about the privileges that you have, uh, as well as um, websites that will sort of tell you what can you do with your privilege? How can you use it to help marginalized groups? Um, and the biggest thing that I've seen is like physically putting your white body in between the police and a marginalized group. Because for some reason, police are less likely to uh, beat up a white person, if you'd believe it. I do believe it. That doesn't mean they don't get beat up. It means they're less likely. Yeah, uh, I think uh, especially for uh, my fellow whites out there. Uh, step one, uh, a big part of it is just going to be, uh, as Alex said, letting other people talk. Uh, you have to be willing to listen to other people and be told what to do because you shouldn't be the one, uh, dictating. Here's how we fix everything. Uh, you right. should hear from, uh, the people themselves, uh, what, what white people can do. And then one more complaint I hear is like, there are so many rules, like, I'm inevitably gonna 
be doing it wrong, so let me just not do anything. And that's also a very privileged perspective of like, be wrong, try, try things. And when people call you out and say, that's not the way I want you to show up, you, you apologize, you respect their wishes, and you start showing up in a different way. Rather than saying, but I'm trying my best, uh, you'll like, you give a mouse a cookie type of thing, which is, I don't know if you know, but that's how I curse when I'm, when I get road rage (laughs) (laughs) and like, like someone starts merging and I'm not trying to let them, I'm like, oh, you give a mouse a cookie. (laughs) What were you going to say, Joe? It sounds way more topical. Uh, I was just going to point out, uh, so today when we're recording um, on the Two Bald Men Instagram, uh, Alex posted a video from the Amber Ruffin show where she's discussing how a senator uh, intentionally mispronounced Kamala Harris's name. And then uh, I shared an anecdote where one of my supervisors mispronounced one of my coworkers' names. And the coworker because I'm sure she was conditioned her whole life to just be like, it's fine, let's move on. Uh, and he said, no, I want to I want to get it right and took the time to make sure that he was pronouncing her name right. Um, so I think, uh, as again, we've said, uh, don't get comfortable at step one where you just sort of acknowledge that there is a problem. You have to take the steps to then not be part of the problem anymore. The other day, I um, words matter a lot. And the other day, so the use of, in quotes, spirit animal is inappropriate for many reasons. And someone for Halloween posted a picture. They were dressed as Lady and the Tramp, the dog. At a, It made no sense. But they were at a restaurant and they said, swipe for my, quote, spirit animal. And it was the day before the election. I was, like, especially revved up. And I pointed it out to the mutual friend that we have. And I said, I wanted to like this, but I can't. Because a like for me is an endorsement. And I'm not going to, I refuse to keep endorsing this behavior and letting it just slip under the rug just because I'm afraid. Because as a Latinx person, I've always been caught in between. Am I white? Am I brown? I'm not really quite sure. But I've always been afraid to speak up to a more privileged person just because I just feel like I'm wrong, but I need to stop. So I privately messaged her and I sent her an article and I said, you know, I'm sure you didn't mean it malicious. Oh, by the way, the mutual friend was like, I'm sure it's fine. People say it all the time and they don't know that it's wrong. And that did not sit well with me. I'm not sure why I especially got mad. And I was like, enough is enough. So I messaged her privately and I was like, I know you didn't mean this maliciously. I hope here's an article of why we need to stop doing this together. We can stop perpetuating this. She didn't answer. She saw it. Oh, and I was peeved. But a day later she responded and she changed her caption to swipe for my twin. And I just felt like I'm so glad that despite my mutual friend who knows her much better, who is a man who had more privilege than me, I, this is very tiny and I'm not like patting myself on the back, but I'm like, okay, it gave me the confidence. Like I need to keep doing this. And then if I tell her, maybe she'll do it to someone else. And then we'll hopefully, this is very idealistic, but maybe we can create, keep creating, you know, these positive effects and kind of like, you know, Elsa and Anna, they were willing to risk 
I mean, for them, it was their life. But for me, it was my sort of <laughs> reputation, which can matter to people. You know, I, I was like, enough is enough. I could lose a follower. I don't really care about followers, but she could hate me. And then that goes, you know, that foregoes me seeing my mutual friend in the same space. So risk it for what's right is what I'm saying. And be that ally to people as much as you can. And yeah, take, take risks. Yeah. And the biggest, the biggest thing from what I'm getting from that story is you, you struggled because you felt you, like you were coming from a position of less privilege than who you were talking to. Mm-hmm. So oh, this again comes back to if you know that you have privilege, that's step one. We're not blaming you for your privilege. Step two is to use your privilege and, and push, push the agenda that you're hearing along. And what is that agenda? It's not anti-white. <laughs> it's, it's pro-black and pro-BIPOC. Uh, if I may, uh, real quick, um, to the spirit animal thing, I believe it was Nick Offerman, I could be wrong, but I think he suggested that to avoid uh, cultural appropriation, we start saying inner beast instead of spirit animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I figured I could throw that out there since uh, we're trying to, like Geraldine did uh, very bravely, try to stop people from uh, making these mistakes. Right. And it's not, I'm, I'm very lucky that it didn't have to come to me standing in front of someone guarding them from a rubber bullet. This obviously wasn't the same scenario, but it was a way in which it was, I could do it even though it was scary to me just as an anxious person, I did it and it's fine. And then it'll lead me to do bigger and bigger things. Right. And we all, at the end of the day, set up what we believe our boundaries are. Um, I, I strongly encourage people with privilege to push those boundaries more and more because we're, we need you to show up. But at the end of the day, you find what you can do and it's never nothing. And all of this is still part of step one. That's still, we're still educating people, right? Step two uh, is the one that people start having problems with. Actually, step one is where people start having problems with. But step two is an actual, you know, financial reparation. You know, if this, this idea that over the course of decades and decades, white people were able to accumulate more wealth and inherit more wealth and pass down more wealth than BIPOC who were restricted via the law, via the government from accumulating wealth, from accumulating property, from accumulating things that they can pass down to their kids. And in in 2016, a lot of people were, were collecting data and trying to calculate exactly how much money it would cost to give back to black families. Now, this is for slavery, so this isn't accounting for uh, the lands that were taken from indigenous peoples, but it accumulated to $8 trillion. Sounds like a lot. How much money are we putting everywhere else? I, uh, to your point of this seems like a huge amount of money, which it is, um, because there's a lot of atrocities and... Um, unfair treatment of people that has gone on um 
But uh, going back to TikTok, unfortunately, I don't have this uh, user's name, but they were basically pointing out more from a free college, free healthcare standpoint, but just that the national debt exceeds the amount of liquid assets currently on the planet. So it's so I understand, you know, people that actually know how the economy works might be like, if you just print more money, then money loses its value and then inflation goes up and all these things. But at the same time, money's fake and we made it up. And there's this astronomical number of uh, money that we owe that's never going to be paid off because it's literally impossible. So why not just add more to it that also won't be paid off ever? That'd be nice. Let's get rid of these social constructs. Um, but it, it, it makes me think of this idea of defunding the police. And, and not to be confused with performative social justice, which is saying that defund the police means that the police need more training. Uh, it's not give, it's not refunding the police. Uh, and when we say defund the police, we literally mean strip away all of the funds that go to the police and redistribute that wealth into the communities that supposedly need policing. Uh, there's a lot of arguments where people are like, uh, well, if you defund the police, then, you know, who's going to do this or who's going to do that? And the whole point of defunding the police is redistributing money to the communities that are over-policed um, and also relieving the things that police do because there's just certain things that police aren't properly trained to do, uh, shouldn't be the first ones responding to. Um, and if you relieve those duties from them and put that money someplace else, those problems will likely just disappear. Not necessarily immediately, but it's uh, basically a way to phase out police, which I think a lot of people uh, either willfully or just ignorantly missed the point. And, and on top of that, like while we are ridding the, the issues from from defunding the police while we're distributing that wealth um we are likely and hopefully having fewer and fewer executions which would be super cool and and all all of that just again it makes me think back to to this class i've been taking um we talked about this idea of dialectic thinking which is being able to hold multiple truths at the same time. And I recognize that a lot of people believe, uh, and they hold this truth with them, that there are good police officers. There are people that joined the police force because they believed in justice and they believe that they could uphold it. And I can hold that belief while also holding another belief or another truth that says the system in which those good police officers are trying to uphold the law, it will never be successful. And so I can criticize the police as an entity without criticizing individual police officers 
although there are individual police officers in which I want to criticize. And I also use that dialectical thinking when I talk about celebrating Thanksgiving. When I celebrate Thanksgiving, I associate it with giving thanks. I associate it with tradition and family. But I can hold those truths as well as this new truth, new as in like the last five years or so, because I was ignorant for a really long time. I want to say way more than five years, because uh, that's, that's way too few. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I can't think of a number right now where I recognize that the tradition or the story that we are told of Thanksgiving is a rewritten history that erases an atrocity that we need to learn about. Yes. Mm-hmm. One that we need to acknowledge in order to move forward, because if we never acknowledge it, we can never com- uh, create reparations for it. There was a commentator on CNN that mentioned America is not unique in its sins. America is unique in that we cannot, for some reason, atone for our actions. Boom. Pop, pop. And we're young. We have so many opportunities. We're, right now we're like a stubborn teenager who doesn't understand that they're just effing up all the time. We think we're grown. We're not. Uh, and I think... Uh... Bear with me here. I think this might also swing back to how people are taught because uh, from a very young age, we're told being wrong is just about the worst thing you could be. Uh, So when uh, faced with these things, a lot of these people, it seems their attitude is, well, I'd rather be racist than wrong. So I'm just going to double down in my beliefs. Yeah fixed mindset versus growth mindset it's this perspective of i'm always learning and i learn from mistakes or i only try things if i know i'm going to succeed at and that's always going to be encompassed in our opinions and in the stances that we try to take people if people are afraid to take stances because they might be proven wrong then they'll either not take the stance ever or take the stance and blind themselves to anything that might criticize it. And I agree, that's, that's a huge part of our education system. I'm thinking specifically of in Thor Ragnarok, when uh, Hela destroys the like um, paintings, I guess, but they're like statues. Mm-hmm. And behind it, there's different paintings or different statues um of the like true history of asgard and how they acquired all of the land that they did and people didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) but but she she had the point of what what was the quote that you mentioned of of proud to have it ashamed of how he got it yes and if that's the case give it back Mm-hmm. There's, I don't know what to tell you. And when, when, when I look at the map of New York, and this is a bit of a tangent, and I hear about how upstate New York is like, well, we'd be a red state if it wasn't for the city, which is a ridiculous sentiment because, again, you are talking about land voting rather than people voting. But if that many people can fit in New York City, 
then if we need to move out of lands to give those lands back to the people we stole it from, it seems like we can do it. (laughs) And that's my hot take. And then they'll put my land. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to own land. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time where we talk about Die Hard. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on Facebook or two bald men podcast.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.